0: This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit librivox. org The Return of the Native by Thomas Hardy Book five The Discovery two A lurid light breaks in upon a darkened understanding. Klim's grief became mitigated by wearing itself out. His strength returned, and a month after the visit of Thomasin he might have been seen walking about the garden. Endurance and despair, equanimity and gloom, the tints of health and the pallor of death mingled weirdly in his face. He was now unnaturally silent upon all of the past that related to his mother, and though Eustacia knew that he was thinking of it nonetheless, she was only too glad to escape the topic, ever to bring it up anew. When his mind had been weaker, his heart had led him to speak out, but reason, having now somewhat recovered itself, he sank into taciturnity. One evening, when he was thus standing in the garden, abstractedly spudding up a weed with his stick, a bony figure turned the corner of the house, and came up to him. "'Christian, isn't it?' said Klim. "'I am so glad you have found me out. I shall soon want you to go to Bloom's End, and assist me in putting the house in order. I suppose it is all locked up as I left it.' "'Oh, yes, Mr. Clym, "'Have you dug up the potatoes and other roots?' "'Yes, without a drop of rain, thank God. "'But I was coming to tell ye of something else "'which is quite different from what we have lately had in the family. "'I am sent by the rich gentleman at the woman "'that we used to call the landlord "'to tell ye that Mrs. Wildeve is doing well of a girl.' which was born punctually at one o'clock at noon, or a few minutes more or less. and 'tis said that expecting of this increase is what have kept them there since they came into their money. And she's getting on well, you say? Oh, yes, yeah, sir. Only Mr. Wildeve is twanky, because not a boy. That's what they say in the kitchen, but I was not supposed to notice that. Christian, now listen to me. "'Oh, yes, sure, Mr. Yobright. "'Did you see my mother the day before she died? "'Oh, no, I did not.' "'Yobright's face expressed disappointment. "'But I zither her the morning of the same day she died.' "'Klim's look lighted up. "'That's nearer still to my meaning,' he said. "'Oh, yes, I know twas the same day, for she said—' I be going to see him, Christian, so I shall not want any vegetables brought in for dinner. See whom? We see you. She was going to your house, you understand? YoBright regarded Christian with intense surprise. Why did you never mention this? he said. Are you sure it was my house she was coming to? "'Oh, yes, I didn't mention it, because I've never zeed you lately. "'And as she didn't get there, it all naught and nothing to tell. "'And I have been wondering why she should have walked in the heath on that hot day. "'Well, did she say what she was coming for? "'It is a thing, Christian, I am very anxious to know.' "'Oh, yes, Mr. Clem, she didn't say it to me, though I think she did, to one here and there.' Do you know one person to whom she spoke of it? Oh, there is one man, please, sir, but I hope you won't mention my name to him, as I have seen him in strange places, particular in dreams. One night last summer he glared at me like famine and sword, and it made me feel so low that I didn't comb out, comb out my few airs for two days. He was standing, as it might be, Mr. Yobright, in the middle of the path to mist over, and your mother came up, looking as pale. Yes, yes, when was that? Last summer, in my dream. Oh, Poo, who's the man? Diggory, the reddled man. He called upon her, and sat with her the evening before she set out to see you. I hadn't gone home from work when he came up to the gate. <gasps> I must see Ven. I wish I had known it before, said clym anxiously. I wonder why he has not come to tell me. He went out of Egdon Heath the next day, so would not be likely to know you wanted him. Christian, said Clem, you must go and find Ven. I am otherwise engaged, or I would go myself. Find him at once, and tell him I want to speak to him. Ooh, "'I'm a good hand at hunting up folk by day,' said Christian, looking dubiously round at the declining light. "'But as to night-time, never is such a bad hand as I, Mr. Yobroy. "'Search the heath when you will, so that you bring him soon. Bring him to-morrow, if you can.' Christian then departed. The morrow came, but no vent. In the evening, Christian arrived, looking very weary. He had been searching all day and had heard nothing of the rattleman. Inquire as much as you can to-morrow without neglecting your work, said Yobright. Don't come again till you have found him the next day. Yobright set out for the old house at Bloom's End, which, with the garden, was now his own. His severe illness had hindered all preparations for his removal thither, but it had become necessary that he should go and overlook its contents as administrator to his mother's little property, for which purpose he decided to pass the next night on the premises. He journeyed onward, not quickly or decisively, but in the slow walk of one who has been awakened from a stupefying sleep. It was early afternoon when he reached the valley, the expression of the place, the tone of the hour, were precisely those of many such occasions in days gone by, and these antecedent similarities fostered the illusion that she, who was there no longer, would come out to welcome him. The garden gate was locked and the shutters were closed, just as he himself had left them on the evening after the funeral, He unlocked the gate, and found that a spider had already constructed a large web tying the door to the lintel, on the supposition that it was never to be opened again. When he had entered the house and flung back the shutters, he set about his task of overhauling the cupboards and closets, burning papers, and considering how best to arrange the place for Eustacia's reception, until such time as he might be in a position to carry out his long-delayed scheme." should that time ever arrive. As he surveyed the rooms, he felt strongly disinclined for the alterations which would have to be made in the time-honoured furnishing of his parents and grandparents to suit Eustacia's modern ideas. The gaunt oak-cased clock, with the picture of the ascension on the door-panel and the miraculous draught of fishes on the base, his grandmother's corner cupboard with the glass door, through which the spotted china was visible, the dumb waiter, the wooden tea-trays, the hanging fountain with the brass tap. Whither would these venerable articles have to be banished? He noticed that the flowers in the windows had died for want of water, and he placed them out upon the ledge that they might be taken away. While thus engaged, he heard footsteps on the gravel without, and somebody knocked at the door. Yobright opened it, and Ven was standing before him. "'Good morning,' said the rattleman. "'Is Mrs. Yobright at home?' Yobright looked upon the ground. "'Then you have not seen Christian or any of the Egdon folks?' he said. "'No, I have only just returned after a long stay away. "'I called here the day before I left.' and you have heard nothing? No, nothing. My mother is dead. Dead? said Van mechanically. Her home now is where I shouldn't mind having mine. Van regarded him, and then said, "'If I didn't see your face, I could never believe your words. Have you been ill?' "'I had an illness.' "'Well, the change. "'When I parted from her a month ago, "'everything seemed to say that she was going to begin a new life. "'And what seemed came true. "'You say right, no doubt. "'Trouble has taught you a deeper vein of talk than mine. "'All I meant was regarding her life here. "'She has died too soon. "'Perhaps through my living too long.' I have had a bitter experience on that score this last month's degree. But come in, I have been wanting to see you.' He conducted the reddleman into the large room where the dancing had taken place the previous Christmas, and they sat down in the settle together. "'There is the cold fireplace, you see,' said Clim, "'When that half-burnt log and those cinders were alight, she was alive.' "'Little has been changed here, yet I can do nothing. "'My life creeps like a snail.' "'How came she to die?' said Ven. "'Yobright gave him some particulars of her illness and death, and continued. "'After this no kind of pain will ever seem more than an indisposition to me. "'I began saying that I wanted to ask you something, "'but I stray from subjects like a drunken man.' I am anxious to know what my mother said to you when she last saw you. You talked with her a long time, I think. I talked with her more than half an hour. About me? Yes, and it must have been on account of what we said that she was on the heath. Without question she was coming to see you. But why should she come to see me if she felt so bitterly against me? there's the mystery. Yet I know she quite forgave thee. But, Diggory, would a woman who had quite forgiven her son say, when she felt herself ill on the way to his house, that she was broken-hearted because of his ill usage? Never. What I know is that she didn't blame you at all. She blamed herself for what had happened, and only herself. I had it from her own lips. You had it from her lips that I had not ill-treated her, and at the same time another had it from her lips that I had ill-treated her? My mother was no impulsive woman who changed her opinion every hour without reason. How can it be, then, that she should have told such different stories in close succession? I cannot say. It is certainly odd when she had forgiven you, and had forgiven your wife, and was going to see you on purpose to make friends. If there was one thing wanting to bewilder me, it was this incomprehensible thing. Diggory, if we who remain alive— were only allowed to hold conversation with the dead just once, a bare minute, even through a screen of iron bars, as with persons in prison, what we might learn! How many who now ride smiling would hide their heads! And this mystery, I should then be at the bottom of it at once. But the grave has for ever shut her in, and how shall it be found out now? No reply was returned by his companion since none could be given, and when Venn left a few minutes later, Klim had passed from the dullness of sorrow to the fluctuation of carking incertitude. He continued in the same state all the afternoon. A bed was made up for him in the same house by a neighbor that he might not have to return again the next day, and when he retired to rest in the deserted place it was only to remain awake hour after hour thinking the same thoughts. How to discover a solution to this riddle of death seemed a query of more importance than highest problems of the living. There was housed in his memory a vivid vivid picture of the face of a little boy as he entered the hovel where Clem's mother lay. The round eyes, eager gaze, the piping voice which enunciated the words, had operated like stilettos on his brain. A visit to the boy suggested itself as a means of gleaning new particulars, though it might be quite unproductive. To probe a child's mind after the lapse of six weeks, not for facts which the child had seen and understood, but to get at those which were in their nature beyond him, did not promise much. Yet, when every obvious channel is blocked, we grope towards the small and obscure. There was nothing else left to do. After that he would allow the enigma to drop into the abyss of undiscoverable things it was about daybreak when he had reached this decision and he at once arose he locked up the house and went out into the green patch which merged in heather further on in front of the white garden palings the path branched into three like a broad arrow the road to the right led to the quiet woman and its neighbourhood the middle track led to mistover Knapp, and the left-hand track led over the hill to another part of mistover where the child lived, on inclining into the latter path, Yobright felt a creeping chilliness familiar enough to most people and probably caused by the unsunned morning air in after days. He thought of it as a thing of singular significance. when Yobright reached the cottage of Susan Nunsuch, the mother of the boy he sought, he found. That the inmates were not yet astir. But in upland hamlets the transition from abed to abroad is surprisingly swift and easy. There no dense partition of yawns and toilets divides humanity by night from humanity by day. Yobright tapped at the upper window sill, which he could reach with his walking-stick, and in three or four minutes the woman came down. It was not till this moment that Clem recollected her to be the person who had behaved so barbarously to Eustacia. It partly explained the insuavity with which the woman greeted him. Moreover, the boy had been ailing again, and Susan now, as ever since the night when he had been pressed into Eustacia's service at the bonfire, Attributed his indispositions to Eustacia's influence as a witch. 'twas one of those sentiments which lurk like moles underneath the visible surface of manners, and may have been kept alive by Eustacia's entreaty to the Captain, at the time he had intended to prosecute Susan for the pricking in church, to let the matter drop, which he had accordingly done. Yobright overcame his repugnance, for Susan had at least borne his mother no ill-will. He asked kindly for the boy, but her manner did not improve. "'I wish to see him,' continued Yobright, with some hesitation, "'to ask him if he remembers anything more of his walk with my mother than what he has previously told.' She regarded him in a peculiar and criticising manner. "'To anybody but a half-blind man it would have said, "'You want another of the knocks which have already laid you so low.' He called the, "'She called the boy downstairs, asked Klim to sit down on a stool, and continued, "'Now, Johnny, tell Mr. Yobright anything you can call to mind.' "'You have not forgotten how you walked with the poor lady on that hot day?' said Klim. "'No,' said the boy." "'And what she said to you?' "'The boy repeated the exact words he had used on entering the hut. Yeobright rested his elbow on the table and shaded his face with his hand, "'and the mother looked as if she wondered how a man could want more "'of what had stung him so deeply. "'She was going to Aldworth when you first met her?' "'No, she was coming away.' "'That can't be.' "'Yes, she walked along with me. I was coming away, too.' "'Then where did you first see her?' "'At your house.' "'Now attend and speak the truth,' said Clym sternly. "'Yes, sir. At your house was where I seed her first. Clym started up, and Susan smiled, in an expectant way which did not embellish her face, "'It seemed to mean something sinister is coming. "'What did she do at my house?' "'She went and sat under the trees at the Devil's Bella's.' "'Good God, this is all news to me!' "'You never told me this before,' said Susan. "'No, mother, because I didn't like to tell you I had been so far. "'I was picking black hearts.' And went farther than I meant. What did she do then? Said Yeobright. Looked at a man who came up and went into your house. That was myself, a furs cutter with brambles in his hand. No, twas not you. 'Twas a gentleman. You had gone in afore. Who was he? Oh, I don't know. NOW TELL ME WHAT HAPPENED NEXT. THE POOR LADY WENT AND KNOCKED AT YOUR DOOR, AND THE LADY WITH BLACK HAIR LOOKED OUT OF THE SIDE WINDOW AT HER. THE BOY'S MOTHER TURNED TO Clym AND SAID, THIS IS SOMETHING YOU DIDN'T EXPECT. YOBRIGHT TOOK NO MORE NOTICE OF HER THAN IF SHE HAD BEEN OF STONE. GO ON, GO ON, HE SAID hoarsely TO THE BOY. And when she saw the young lady look out of the window, the old lady knocked again. And when nobody came, she took up the furze hook and looked at it and put it down again. And then she looked at the faggot bonds. And then she went away and walked across to me and blowed her breath very hard like this. <gasps> we walked on together, she and I. "'and I talked to her, and she talked to me a bit, but not much, "'because she couldn't blow her breath.' "'Oh!' murmured Klim in a low tone, and bowed his head. "'Let's have more,' he said. "'She couldn't talk much, and she couldn't walk, "'and her face was all so queer.' "'How was her face?' "'Like yours is now.' The woman looked at Yobright and beheld him, colourless, in a cold sweat. "'Isn't there meaning in it?' she said, stealthily. "'What do you think of her now?' "'Silence!' said Klim fiercely, and turning to the boy. "'And then you left her to die?' "'No,' said the woman, quickly and angrily, "'he did not leave her to die. "'She sent him away. "'Whoever says he forsook her says what's not true.' "'Trouble no more about that,' answered Klim with a quivering mouth. "'What he did is a trifle in comparison with what he saw.' "'Door kept shut, did you say? "'Kept shut? "'She looking out of the window?' good heart of god what does it mean the child shrank away from the gaze of his questioner he said so answered the mother and johnny's a god-fearing boy and tells no lies cast off by my son no by my best life dear mother it is not so but by your son's Your sons! Oh, may all murderesses get the torment they deserve! With these words Yeobright went forth from the little dwelling. The pupils of his eyes, fixed steadfastly on blankness, were vaguely lit with an icy shine. His mouth, had passed into the phase more or less imaginatively rendered in studies of Oedipus. The strangest deeds were possible to his mood, but they were not possible to his situation. Instead of there being before him the pale face of Eustatia, and a ma- masculine shape unknown, there was only the imperturbable countenance of the heath, which, having defied the cataclysmal onsets of centuries, reduced to insignificance by its seamed and antique features the wildest turmoil of a single man. End of chapter 2